Hello, this is Mike Van Mater. Welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. And I want to thank you for joining me. And you can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. And this podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. And I want to bring to you our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by FHE Health, a substance abuse and mental health treatment center specializing in treatment for first responders' needs, including PTSD, anxiety, and substance use. So take the first steps to a better life today by visiting FHEHealth.com. So today what I want to talk about is this whole notion of uh, how is it that alcoholics are different than other people when it comes to, to drinking? You know, why is it that there are some people that just don't seem to have an off switch when it comes to their drinking? You know, after all, if you're the family member or loved one of someone who is drinking alcoholically, you know, you may be asking yourself, why can't they stop? What is it about drinking to them that just just keeps going and going? You know, is it because they don't love me? Is it because they have a moral issue? Do they not go to church enough? Do they not work out enough? Are they not working hard enough at work? These are all questions that are very, very common in the world in which I'm working in. And it's really a big misnomer that... Addiction is a moral issue. Now, I, I want to clarify that because a lot of you might be saying, I, I don't believe that at all. I think that somebody can stop drinking or drugging. It's just they don't want to. They don't love us. They're not working hard enough. All the different things that you've heard before. And, and if you are somebody that's listening to this podcast and you've had somebody saying that to you, you've probably heard those same things as well. And I want to address that issue. Because it's important to understand that addiction is a disease of the mind and the body. Of the mind and the body. It affects both. And so, what happens inside the body? I mean, there's a definite genetic predisposition towards addiction. There's no question about that. But what's changed? You know, what is it in this genetic predisposition that is different than people who do not drink alcoholically? Well, it's a miswiring. There is a genetic miscoding that occurs in the body that sends signals to the brain that are different from people that don't have that genetic miswiring. And I'm going to really try to oversimplify this to make it very understandable for people and make it sort of clear that this is happening and why it's happening. And I know that in for me... The sooner I understood this, the sooner I was able to get well. Because it has nothing to do, addiction has nothing to do with you being a good or a bad person. It has everything to do with you being a sick person. And there's a difference. It's an illness. It's a disease. And when someone's afflicted with this disease, they really need care. They need help. And it does not help this person that they are constantly told that there is a moral failing that's going on because that's that has nothing to do with it. So let me just kind of address this and kind of explain how this works. You know, alcohol, when it's processed through the body, when you go through the, uh, the metabolic process, 
and it, it completes that process. It exits the body through uh, in in the form of carbon dioxide. And I am not even going to attempt to talk about the entire physiological breakdown of, of how that occurs because, well, first of all, it's not really necessary that we un- that we understand it completely, other than just knowing that that it exists. But in the mid state of this breakdown, alcohol is in, in the form of acetaldehyde. Now, don't panic over the term. Don't don't obsess over that. Just know that that it's in a state in in the midst of that me- metabolic breakdown. And that's important because it's in that state that differentiates the people that can drink normally and those that cannot. Now, I want you to just sit back for a minute and just think about how your body is designed and what it's designed for and what what it's designed to do. You know, your body is designed to survive. It, It is. I mean, if you think about all the different things that take place in your body, uh, if you're cold, you know, you shiver so you can warm up. If you're hot, you're sweat so you can you sweat so you can cool down. Uh, you're hungry so you can eat to survive. We have the sexual urge so we procreate and and propagate and maintain the human species. These are all natural urges, right? That are based on reactions to our environment. And your body is designed to protect itself and it's designed to survive, right? Now, when you think of alcohol. Alcohol is a poison to your body. It's a toxin. It's a poison to every single cell in your body. Every single cell in your body. It's toxic. And your body should reject alcohol because it's damaging to every cell in your body. And so if you think about it, for those of you that are normal drinkers, um, you, you realize that you might have you know one or two or maybe three drinks, and then you start getting that tingling feeling, and you think... I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I want to stop. And if you drink too much, then you throw it up. In other words, your body purges alcohol, gets rid of it. Why? Because your body recognizes alcohol as a toxin. And of course you stop. But if you're alcoholic, that's not what happens, is it? When you get to the point to where you have that tingling feeling, you're thinking, all right, here we go. (laughs) I like that feeling, that euphoria. That's the term that is used. You get this euphoria that non-alcoholics do not experience. But alcoholics do. It's a very different experience and it's a very different feeling. So what's going on? Well, you have that genetic miswiring. And when you drink alcohol, instead of the, the signal being sent to your brain that alcohol is a toxin and a poison, your brain is saying, this is good. This is really good. We like this. We like this feeling. We like this buzz. We like this euphoria that we're experiencing, and we want more of it. Well, how much more? Well, a lot more. And we will keep getting more until it, meaning alcohol, is out, or we are out, meaning a blackout. That's alcoholic drinking. And it's the direct opposite of what your body should be doing in relation to handling a toxin and a poison that's put into it. that And that stems from that genetic miswiring. So it's when alcohol is in that form, that, mid, that mid-state form I talked about, in acetaldehyde, that is where that the, the, in the biochemical process the euphoria comes from, right? 
And so it is that miswiring. Now, ironically, uh, if you're not familiar with the, the drug antabuse, antabuse is a drug that's given to people that want to stop drinking and really find it very difficult to stop drinking on their own. So they may be prescribed antabuse. And antabuse actually causes that state to go toxic, that acetaldehyde that we're talking about, to go to a toxic state very, very quickly. Now, how quickly? It can be within a matter of minutes. And people can become so sensitive to alcohol that uh, using hand sanitizer, alcohol wipes, touching alcohol, having any sort of alcohol touch their bodies, they'll have a reaction to it. And it's very, very effective. It's the drug that you you drink, or the drug that you take, rather, that when you take it and you drink on it, you're going to really wish that you had not because it will make you ill. It could potentially make you violently ill, but it will certainly keep you from drinking. But what antabuse does is target that, that area that I'm mentioning here and causes it to go toxic and, and toxic very quickly. So when you, when you look into the uh, certainly Alcoholics Anonymous literature, and in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, they say that that this euphoria is something that only alcoholics experience. That's what they're talking about right there because non-alcoholics do not experience this whatsoever. And it creates in us what's known as an allergy towards alcohol, and that's also mentioned in the, in the big book. And for those of you that might be saying, well, that's, that's ridiculous. You don't have an allergy to alcohol. Well, I'm going to say, well, hold on. What does Webster's Dictionary say the analogy is. What is the definition of an allergy? Well, the definition of an allergy is the body having an abnormal reaction to a substance. And if you're drinking alcoholically, that is certainly an abnormal reaction to a substance that is a poison to your body. So therefore, it is an allergy. Now, just like Somebody that has any other type of an allergy, for example, here in Virginia, when things start to bloom, you may start, you know, sneezing, sniffling, you know, have uh, you know, all kinds of, you know, drippings from your nose and those types of things. And that's due to your body reacting to the allergens that are in the air. I want you to imagine for a moment that your loved one, your wife, your husband, your spouse, you know, somebody in your life says, you know, you know, Mike, you know what's causing that? You know what would cause you to stop sneezing and sniffling? is if you went to church more often. You'd say, what? What, does that ha- what does one have to do with the other? And the answer is, it has nothing to do with it. You know, if you worked out more, that would take care of it. And again, you think, what in the world does that have to do with it? And the answer is nothing. What if you worked out more? What if you went to, uh, you know, spent more time with the children? What if you were a better employee at work? And of course, none of those have anything to do with what is happening to your body. But the same things with alcohol. And if you think about it, you know, if you're listening to my voice right now, you may have experienced that where people have said, why aren't you a better employee? Why aren't you a better father? Why aren't you a better husband? Why aren't you um, worshiping more in our worship service? All these different types of things. And you may have thought to yourself, but I do love my wife and my children, and I do love uh, the work that I do, and I, and I do think that I'm a good person, but yet you're still drinking. Well, what I'm telling you is, is that one has nothing to do with the other. It has nothing to do with it. This is a reaction that your body has 
that you have absolutely no control over. The only thing that you can do and the only thing that you can control is not putting a a drink into your body, not picking it up, and not taking that first drink. It's actually the first drink that is devastating to alcoholics. It's not the hundredth drink. It's the first one because that first drink is what sets off that chain reaction of biological events, physiological events that we just discussed here. And once that progression starts, you have no control over what happens to your body. So what's the answer? The answer is don't put the first drink into your body. And so all of the recovery programs that are out there are designed to get you to not pick up the first drink. There's this big myth out there that recovery programs are designed to get you to stop drinking. That's absolutely not true. You stop drinking by going to a detox center, going to treatment, or going to a meeting. But what the 12 steps of any recovery program are designed to do is to prevent you from picking up a drink in the first place. That's the goal. Now, what causes us to go pick up the first drink? Resentments, anger, bitterness, being upset, being depressed, being lonely, being isolated, all of those types of things. So the entire program is designed to help prevent us from being in that situation in the first place. After all, I've never heard of somebody, after a period of abstinence, say that they picked up a drink or drug because their life was going so well. I've never heard anybody say that. What you hear are people that are lonely, angry, bitter, have resentments, are depressed. You fill in the blank. But it's always a negative, and the people want to escape from that, so they go out and they pick up the first drink or pick up the first drug. And then that progression starts, and there's nothing you can do about it until you go back into recovery and completely stop. So the goal to this is to not pick up in the first place. And that's why, if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know that I'm a big proponent of complete and total abstinence. Not moderating your drinking, not moderating your drugging. I am for and I support absolute abstinence. Because if you've gotten to the point where you've gone to treatment, you've already demonstrate, demonstrated yourself and to others that you're not able to use moderately. If you could have used moderately and used normally, as we say, you would have already done it before this point. But what I wanted to do today is just give you an idea behind why this is and how your body works. It's very simplistic. It's it's just a very 30,000-foot view of this whole physiological process, and I understand that. But I'm intentionally keeping it simple because I think it's easier for for people to understand. And for us, it's not really important that we understand the nuances and every detail of how this works physiologically. It's just important that we understand that it's there, that it works that way, and that's what's causing us to desire the drink and why, for some of us, there is no off switch once the drinking starts. So I'm sure that for you know many people out there, this is going to be very, very helpful. And please give me some feedback 
you know, I'd really appreciate your feedback. And, and if there's a topic that you want to hear about, certainly write to me. Uh, you can contact me through Facebook. You can go to my website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. And I'd love to hear from you guys. And also, you know, really check out our sponsor, you know, FHE Health, you know, because according to SAMHSA, first responders are 30% more likely to develop behavioral health conditions like PTSD. And FHE Health specializes in getting first responders better and cleared for duty. So find out more at FHEHealth.com, and they have a lot of resources that can help you and your family members uh, get well. So as I always like to say, I don't represent any group. I know I'm, I'm talking about some 12-step groups here, but I don't represent them. I don't represent anyone other than myself. And my only purpose in giving this information is to share with you what I've learned uh, because, you know, it may help you because it certainly helped me. And if I've said anything that doesn't apply to you or you don't agree with, then just discard it. Because, you know, that's what we do in recovery. We help ourselves while we're trying to heart, uh, help others. And so with that, please, again, visit my Facebook page, which is Recovery is Possible, and our website, vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. Let me know how I'm doing. Let me know if there's a topic that you're interested in hearing about, because I'd love to hear from you guys. And you take care, and I'll see you next time.